0: There are two forms of hopelessness that I want to push back against this morning. I think the word intends to push back against this morning. The first is the sense that the church in the West is dying and there's nothing we can do about it. Have you heard this narrative from outside, right? People are leaving the church in droves, baptisms are down, churches are not growing, they are shrinking. We hear it in the news. I hear it in Christianity Today all the time. I hear it in many places. And in part, it is true. It is a season where there is much apostasy and many have left the church, some of them still claiming to be believers and some of them not in any way living a Christian life. If we soak in enough of those stories, a feeling of hopelessness can settle in, a feeling that in just a generation or two, there will be no church left for our great-grandchildren, like the, the world will overcome the people of God and we will be here no more. The Scriptures tell a very different story. And I think they mean to give hope to any of you who might have that feeling in your hearts or that fear in your hearts this morning. There's another form of hopelessness I want to push back against as well. And that is in our individual lives. When we fight against sin and we fail, and then we get up to fight again and then we fail. And then even a third time we get up and, and we fail. And that lingering sin in our lives just keeps winning the day it can start to feel like it is not really worth it to fight anymore. That, that for the rest of this life, sin is going to go on, is going to have its way with me, and so why would I continue fighting against it and putting so much effort against it? Again, the Scriptures tell a different story. And so if you have ever felt that way or been discouraged in your own fight against sin, indwelling sin as a Christian, I think the Word of God intends to give you hope this morning. If you're just joining us, we are in the sixth week of an eight-week series that goes through the Psalms of Ascent, and that was a collection of psalms that was gathered together for the people of Israel to sing while they journeyed from their hometowns up to the mountain of Jerusalem. They did that three times a year for festivals of worship. They would walk this long journey from a place where God was far to the place where God's presence dwelled. It was a long and tiring and dangerous journey, but they were not walking it alone. They were walking it together in caravans, and they sang songs like this the whole way to carry them on. Now, you're probably used to me saying by now, in that way, they teach us about our Christian lives because we are very much doing the same way, same, same thing. Uh, going from a place where God feels far to the place where God dwells, the new heavens and new earth where he will dwell with us. Walking a long journey that is tiring and dangerous to get there, but not walking alone. Praise God, we've got this whole group here to walk with. And singing songs like these the whole way. This week, much like last week, the Psalms give hope to those of us who are suffering, who are discouraged, who fear that perhaps the world will win this battle, or perhaps sin will win the battle against me. Let's read together Psalms 125 and 127. This is the sixth and sixth to last of the Psalms of Ascent. They're arranged symmetrically, so we've been working them from the outside in. Psalm 125, a song of ascent. Those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion, which cannot be moved but abides forever. As the mountains surround Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds his people from this time forth and forevermore. For the scepter of wickedness shall not rest on the land allotted to the righteous, lest the righteous stretch out their hands and do wrong. Do good, O Lord, to those who are good, and to those who are upright in their hearts. But those who turn aside to their crooked ways, the Lord will lead away with evildoers. Oh, peace be upon Israel. And on the other side, Psalm 129, also a song of ascents. "'Greatly they have afflicted me from my youth. "'Let Israel now say, "'Greatly they have afflicted me from my youth, "'and yet they have not prevailed against me. "'The plowers plowed upon my back, "'they made long their furrows. "'The Lord is righteous, "'and he has cut the cords of the wicked. "'May all who hate Zion be put to shame "'and turned backward. "'Let them be like the grass on the housetop, "'which withers before it grows up, "'with which the reaper does not fill his hand, "'nor the binder of sheaves his arms.' Nor do those who pass by say, the blessing of the Lord be upon you. We bless you in the name of the Lord. These are the words of the Lord. Through those two Psalms, what I believe the Spirit is doing is giving hope to weary believers. If you are weary with the direction things appear to be going in the world, or weary in your own battle against sin, I think the Lord means to meet you in that weakness today and strengthen you with much hope. As we look at these two psalms, those pairs arranged symmetrically. They always have something in common. And these two have something in common that though it often feels like the bad guys are winning, the people of God ultimately emerge victorious because they trust in the Lord. Both these psalms teach that in different ways. In Psalm 125, the psalmist first celebrates the great promises of God that his people will endure And then he asks the Lord to keep those promises. And then in Psalm 129, the psalmist leads Israel to mourn and weep together over the harm that their enemies and rulers have done to them over the years, but to say they have hurt us, but they have not destroyed us, and ultimately we will prevail. And so in that way, both Psalms share the same hope that the people of God, though pressed, are not crushed, though persecuted, are not abandoned, though struck down, are not destroyed. Now to interpret these as Christians, there's an idea in the scriptures that we need to receive and take hold of, and that is the New Testament's teaching that believers live today as sojourners and exiles in the world. Did you know that for much of Israel's history, they were not living in the land they were promised under the king that they were hoping in? Now, we think of Israel as living under God's law, under a king like David, and for much of their history, they were doing that. But for a majority of their history, they were living in some other land, ruled by people who despised them. Or living in their own land, but not under God's king, under another empire who despised them. The people of Israel spent most of their history living under governments that did not like them. They were slaves for 400 years in Egypt. They were exiles for 70 years in Babylon. And then for about 500 years after that, they lived in their own land under Persian rule, and then under Greek rule, and then under Roman rule until Christ came These are people who know what it looks like to not live in their home and who knows what it feels like to live under rulers who do not like them. They lived in much of their history as sojourners and exiles. And Peter says the same thing about us as Christians. He says, beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your souls. So here we live as the people of God, trusting in our hearts in Jesus Christ and living in his ways, and yet we are living in a world that is still ruled by God's enemies. And I don't really mean nations, although that is part of it. No, Peter says, as sojourners and exiles abstain from the passions of your flesh, which wage war against your souls. And as I've quoted a few times in this series, our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against the spiritual powers in this world. The, the rulers in this world that we are living under, that we want out from under their thumb, are cosmic enemies like sin and Satan and death. So here we live as the people of God, watching death reign in this world, and saying in our hearts, this cannot be it. Watching sin run rampant in the world and even have its way in our hearts sometimes and say, this, this can't be the ultimate thing, right? Clearly, I was made for something else. And one of the things that Revelation 13 teaches, it uses the image of a beast and then a second beast, is that Satan, our great enemy, loves to turn powerful governments and powerful media arms against the people of God. He was doing this in Rome. He was doing it in Greece. He's doing it in China, in India, and in the States right now. And so we live today in a world that is ruled by sin, and a world where death has its way. And oftentimes, under rulers are under the influence of media influencers who despise the people of God. That means we as Christians live as exiles in the world. That means that we as Christians live as Sojourners traveling through saying, this place is not our home. And so when we read of psalms that were written at some point in sojourning in exile, living under rulers that despise them, we can use these songs to process the grief that that brings us. Christian, is it hard to live in a world where death still reigns? Yes, it is. But you've got psalms like this to give you words for that. Is it hard to live Purely in the holiness that God calls you to in a world where sin is still pulling you every direction. Yeah, that's hard. But you have psalms like this to give you words to process that and pray to the Lord. So the main point of the two psalms is that it feels like those bad guys are going to win. It feels like sin's going to have its way with you. It feels like death is just going to reign forever. But no, the truth is that the people of God are the ones who will endure forever. So with that grid giving you two, as we look at this as exiles ourselves in this world where sin, death, and Satan reign, let me give you a few points from these Psalms to encourage you, to give you hope, and to give you guidance in the Christian life. First, God's enemies will not reign forever. In some ways, it's kind of the key point in this Psalm. God's enemies will not reign forever. We get two images to help us visualize and see that. The first one in Psalm 125, verse 3. It's the picture of a scepter. You can imagine a a golden scepter that a ruler holds with jewels all in it. But it is held by somebody who hates us. It says, The scepter of wickedness shall not rest on the land allotted to the righteous. So right now, enemies like sin itself and, and death and Satan... They get their way in this world. They rule in this world. They hold the scepter swaying over this world. But in the land where we are headed, the land allotted to the righteous, the new heavens and the new earth on the return of Jesus Christ, they will not hold that power. That scepter will come out of their hand and go into the hand of Jesus Christ. That's the first picture. The scepter of wickedness shall not reign in the land allotted to the righteous. The other one is over in the other psalm on 129 and verse 4. The Lord is righteous and he has cut the cords of the wicked. Sometimes it feels like death has you. Some of you feel the years getting on and your body is beginning to tell you this is not going to last forever. Some of you, your body started telling you that decades ago and you know this is not going to last forever. It feels like death's got you tied down and will win. When the Lord returns, It brings resurrection from the dead. One of the images we can have of that is is the cords being cut and us being free. It still feels often like sin has us down, has us tied up, gets us doing what it wants, when we want to do what the Lord wants us to do. And here we've got the picture. Those cords are going to be cut. The day is going to come where sin does not reign at all and does not tempt the people of God at all. We see the rule of sin and Satan and death in so many ways in the world around us. I said earlier that the the enemy loves to turn powerful governments against the people of God. He has limited power and limited resources. Satan is not an infinite being with infinite power. He can only do so much. And so he is going to focus his energy on turning the most powerful people against the people of God because he can't really fight us all himself. And so you see right now the two most populated nations on earth, China and India, both turning against the people of God. Persecution it's, is rising in India. It's not terrible yet, but it's rising. And in China, the, the CCP, the Chinese Communist Party, is arresting pastors of house churches, holding them in Chinese prisons for years at a time, while they then fine the churches excessively under false charges of fraud. Can you imagine if, if our church and the great debt load that we have had was instead a fine that big from the government. And anyone who tried to step up and lead our church was arrested and put in prison and separated from his family. What that would do to a church? This is happening in house churches all throughout China. So we can see in this world, the enemy's ruling, right? He's getting his way on a lot of things and he will for some time to come. We see the rule of of death in this world. Did you know that in the States here, a sixth of our economy is devoted to health care. Why do we have to devote a sixth of our economy to health care? Because death rules and reigns. It is powerful. And we still can't stop it, no matter how much money we throw at it. We see the rule of of sin all around us As, as People we love are lured into lies, as people we love are lured into destructive habits. We see it everywhere. We even see it in our own lives as it lures us and calls to us. This is a world run by the enemies. But the good news of this psalm is that those enemies will not reign forever. A day will come when their cords are cut. And we who are used to just breathing heavy and in tears will breathe a sigh of relief that we didn't even expect was coming. So that's kind of the main thing here. The enemies won't reign forever. That means a few things for us, though, that are outlined in the Psalms. Uh, first, if, if they won't reign forever, that means God's enemies won't lead us astray forever. In this world... When the enemies rule and reign, they often influence the people of God to sin against God. But this won't happen forever. We see this in the second half of verse 3 and 125. Now, I read the first half earlier. For the scepter of wickedness shall not rest in the land allotted to the righteous. Now, let me finish the thought. Lest the righteous stretch out their hands to do wrong. So, when God's enemies reign, one of the things they do is they try to influence the people of God to do wrong. So, in a world where sin can run rampant and where it reigns, how much do we then have to fight against it? And if we don't, it begins to tempt us, and it begins to influence us to do wrong. When powerful media arms begin to teach a a hatred for the teachings of the Bible— Uh, begin to rail against God's morality, begin to put social pressure on Christians to deny the truth? How many Christians now are compromising on moral issues because of pressure from media? You see, when the enemies reign, we are pressured to do wrong. And this works with all of the cosmic enemies. They all work like this. The fact that death reigns in this world tempts the people of God to do wrong. I'll give you an example have you ever been hangry? Yeah. You get hungry and the perishability of your body begins to come to the forefront. And what do you do? You you turn on people. You become a less pleasant person. You are tempted to sin. Uh, I've been not terribly ill, but a little sick for the last month or so. And it's made me a more difficult person to be around. And I was at a wonderful conference all this week, but I was so tired that it was hard to listen to excellent preaching and singing. And I got to the point where. I didn't want to. Like my heart didn't want to engage anymore because I could just feel the perishability of my body. And I wonder if sometimes you feel that way when you're sick in church or when you're tired in church. It's not just that the body can't keep up. It's like, man, I don't even want to try anymore, right? That that tempts us into sin. This is also why there is this phenomenon of men in their 40s doing wild and crazy things. Right? Have, you, have you heard the stories of men who turned 41 and 42, and then they buy a boat, and they leave their wife, and they go and get another job, or right? they just do wild things? What happens? Well, I can say this as a 41-year-old man. You get to this age, and your body realizes, I'm going to die one day, right? You used to think you're invincible, and now you don't think you're invincible anymore. And then you hear the folks a few generations above you say, oh, you just wait. It's coming, right? When that feeling of perishability hits you, it can tempt men to do wild and crazy things. The rule of God's great enemies like sin and Satan and death in the world influence the people of God to sin against him. And the message of this psalm here is that that won't happen Forever. That lingering temptation that has nagged you for your whole life, it will not nag you forever. No, the land where you are going, Christian, it will be gone. Now you can fight it now, and you should fight it with all of your might. But you can fight it with more energy when you know you're not going to have to fight it forever. Right? If you think this battle is going to drag on for 10,000 years, you might be a little tempted to let up and just try to settle in for the long haul with this thing. But no, in just a short time, our Lord will return and you will not be fighting that battle anymore. You may fight it for your whole life but you will not fight it forever. So fight sin knowing that you will defeat it. The scepter of wickedness will not reign over us forever. Eventually, we will live in the land allotted to the righteous. Another thing this means for us, if the enemies of God won't reign forever, that means that they won't hurt us forever. In a world where sin, death, and Satan can kind of run rampant and do what they are doing, That harms the people of God in real ways. And 129 verses 1 through 4 give us a picture of that, right? They are harmed. And this psalmist, first he says, Greatly they've afflicted me from my youth. But then he leads all the people of God to say, Greatly they have afflicted me from my youth. So all of the people of God are suffering because of the rule of God's enemies. This is probably in some time, maybe in Egypt, when they're under the yoke of slavery, maybe when they're in Babylon and their tormentors are there and don't like them very much. We're not quite sure when it is, but at some point, these people are living under the rule of their enemies, and they are saying, from the time that we were children, we have been abused under their care. And the, the picture in verse 3 is a stark one. He says, the plowers plowed upon my back, and they made long their furrows. This is the picture of a, of a whip sinking into the back and then having shards in it. So you sink it in and then, you, and then you tear as much as you can the furrows into the person's back. And they're saying, they've been doing that to us since we were kids. We were children and they were doing that to us. They compare this to a plow going through the earth. I have a tiller in my garage, so I know a little bit about what this is like. I stick that thing in the ground, and those sharp wheels just start to turn, and they tear that ground up. And in the old days, it was a plow being pulled by an ox, and the ox would pull that thing and just tear that hole into the ground. And they're saying in the same way, since we were kids, they were tearing holes in our back like this. This is a picture of the way that God's enemies harm God's people and when we live in a world that is ruled by sin and satan and death many of us bear those marks some of us bear them in our bodies there are some of us here in this church whose whose bodies have scars because in sin, we've intentionally harmed our own body, and now we can look and say, that, that's there on my body, the same way that was in the back of those people of Israel. There are some of us who, because of immorality in our past, have diseases today and bear the mark of harm in our body that sin has done to us. There are maybe some of us here who, after years of drunkenness, bear the mark in our livers that are, that are sick when sin rules like that, it does real harm into people's bodies. And many of us could tell stories of how we're worse off today because of the sins that we committed in the past. So that enemy is not just ruling tyrannically, but it's, it's harming us. And the same is true for, for death, which just reigns in this world. And so many of us are suffering under it, right? Getting closer and closer. So many health problems on our prayer list. So many of us that will probably have to cough throughout this sermon as I was coughing last week because it just rains in this world. And not only that, but then when Satan turns governments and media arms against God's people, the people under them bear the marks, they suffer. There are real men of God in China and in Afghanistan and other places imprisoned for the gospel weeping as they miss their wives and their children, suffering, some of them in labor camps, and some of them being tormented by their captors. And they can connect with these words. All of us can connect with these words. when it says, greatly, they've afflicted us from our youth. Sin, Satan, and death have afflicted us from our youth. Yet, in verse 2, they have not prevailed against me. Right? They can hurt us, but, but the people of God who trust in the Lord... We, we endure, and they will not be able to harm us forever. We will live in a world one day without death and without sin and without Satan tormenting us. So the day will come when our enemies cannot harm us. So if it won't rain forever and they won't lead us astray forever, And they won't hurt us forever. What what will they do? Well, the Psalms here say that they will perish forever. God's enemies will be destroyed and utterly defeated. And this is the thing that is actually said the most. First in 125 verse 5. Those who turn aside to their crooked ways, the Lord will lead away with evildoers. So this is all of his enemies, including sin, Satan, and death, and all those that rail against him on the last day when the return of Christ comes, just just sent away where they cannot harm us anymore. Or we see a very similar image in the other verse 5, in 129 verse 5, being put to shame and turned backwards. So, death may be coming for you, and it may be close, and it may take your body in this life. But when your Lord returns and raises you from the dead… It will be put to shame, turned backwards, and sent away. The last enemy to be destroyed, it says, is death. And the same is true even for the sin that haunts us forever, right? It will one day be turned backwards and sent away. This is the one we get three pictures of. The other pictures in 129 verses 6 through 8. It compares these cosmic enemies to, to the grass on the housetops which withers before it grows up. Their housetops would collect soil and sediment on the roof the way that our gutters do if you don't clean your gutters. And if you go long enough without cleaning your gutters, uh, some of you know what happens. Little grass will sprout up in there and your gutters will have little plants coming up, right? Some of you are going to go home and take care of that this afternoon because I reminded you, right? So that stuff grows up, but because the soil is like this thick, It grows up for a little bit, and the first frost comes, and it's gone, right? It's it's not going to, you're not going to reap grapes off of a grapevine that grows out of your gutters, right? It just doesn't have the nutrients to support that. Same thing for their rooftops. A little bit of silt, maybe a half inch of silt on there, a little bit of grass would come up, but pretty soon it would just wither. Modern analogy that you may be more used to is, is crabgrass. Some of you have crabgrass in your lawns, and soon the first frost will come, and that stuff is flourishing right now. You can't stop it. That first frost comes, and it's just gone. It just all turns brown. Right? In the same way, enemies like sin, Satan, and death, they're looking strong now. Right? They may be taking over the lawn now, but the first frost comes, and they're just gone, turned brown and withered. And so people would not go up on top of their roofs and gather a harvest from the grass that grew on their roof, right? And nobody would walk by and see their neighbor on the roof and say, oh, wow, you are blessed in the name of the Lord. Look at that harvest of wheat you have gleaned from your rooftop. That kind of thing would never happen. And so there's a connection in the imagery here. The, the harm that God's enemies were doing to us was compared to a plower in the field right? They're plowing, but they will not harvest on what they plow. So sin, Satan, and death, they're sowing their seeds, they are plowing, they're doing their work on us, but they will not reap a return for what they are doing. No, instead, they will wither and they will be gone. So that means then, ultimately, sin will be destroyed Forever. And death, last enemy to be destroyed, is death. And not only that, but the the governments and the media arms that Satan loves to turn against us, in as much as they remain in opposition to the people of God, they'll be destroyed forever when he comes. This is one of the reasons your New Testament tells you to pray for governing authorities. Because we know from Revelation 13 how much power they have and how much Satan loves to manipulate them and try to turn them against the church to hate the people of God. And we know what ultimately happens to those who hate the people of God. And so if he is concentrating his efforts on them, it makes sense that the Scriptures would tell us to concentrate our prayers on the leaders in our country. Have you ever been upset over something that a governing official did and not prayed for them. If you didn't pray for them, Christian, you're you're missing the point. No, when they rail against us, what we must do is pray for them. When they are doing right, what we must do is pray for them. The scriptures say, seek the Lord while he may be found. Even President Xi of the CCP in China could turn and trust Jesus Christ for salvation. And so while the time is short, while the Lord can be found when he is sought, we have to pray for him and plead that the Lord would turn his heart, that he would turn the rulers in India and the Taliban rulers in Afghanistan and our rulers here in our country, even our governor, even our mayor, we should pray for all of them, pleading that the Lord would change their hearts. If we see them working against us, and only some of those people are working, some of them are very friendly toward us. Uh, if we see them, though, working against us, and we don't pray for them, church, woe to us. Satan is focused on them. Let us focus our prayers on them as well. So God's enemies will perish forever and all the more reasons we ought to pray for those that Satan is focused on. So that's what these psalms have to say about our enemies What do they have to say about us as the people of God? Well, the main thing is that God's people will outlast every trial and be blessed forever. We see that in the very first verse of 125. Those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion, which cannot be moved. You don't just hire a bulldozer and and move a mountain, right? That doesn't happen. And so the people who are standing on the solid rock of Jesus Christ the Lord, through all of the hardship that I have mentioned, through all of the suffering that I have mentioned, through all the plowers digging their furrows deep on our backs that I have mentioned, through every last bit of it, we stand strong because those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion, which cannot be moved. That is why they can say, uh, the flowers plowed upon my back, that they uh, they hurt us, but they have not prevailed against us in verse 2 of 129. They have afflicted us from our youth, and yet they have not prevailed against us. That means, now I'm saying this because we have at least three people, I think, in our church have a cancer diagnosis right now. That means if you've ever had a cancer diagnosis, if you have one right now, if you get one tomorrow, if you're part of the people of God, if you trust in the Lord, you will one day beat it. It, it might take your life in this life. It could take your body, right? And your soul will be kept hidden in Christ in heaven until the Lord returns, until he puts you back in a better body that cannot perish and does not get cancer and raises you from the dead forever. What sickness and death can do to us is, is so limited on an eternal scale. All it can do is take these perishable bodies from us, which most of us are tired of anyway, if we're honest, right? But when the Lord returns, he has a better one for us, because those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion, that means that the indwelling sin that you are fighting, you will one day defeat it. We come to Christ having, having committed so many wrongs against the Lord and so many habitual sins, right? We come messy to Jesus. And then we spend our lives fighting those sins and trying to grow in holiness. And the way that tends to work is... The more you feed it, the stronger it gets. right If you had a couple of things you were into before you came to Christ and you 're still trying to turn fully from them, the more you do what sin wants you to do, the, the stronger its power gets. the more you uh, the more you, you use pornography, for instance, the stronger its pull gets. But the more you resist temptation and say, "No, my heart wants it, but 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 no the the weaker it gets, and you 'll continue in that kind of up and down, you know, winning battles, losing battles. And you can get to a point where those sins have very little pull on you, but they're never fully eliminated. They're always there. was kind of haunting you. Saying, I might come back one day. You never know, right? And then the point that we're seeing here is that one day you will outlast every one of those trials and be blessed forever in God's kingdom. The day will come where its voice tempts you. No longer. So fight it with all you've got now, knowing that you have power to beat it. That's great hope and encouragement for the pastors I mentioned over in China who are in jail cells right now. Uh, They can take heart that those who trust in the Lord, they're like Mount Zion. They cannot be moved. We might suffer in this life, but we would be blessed forever in the Lord. What hope that would give to a suffering man. What hope that gave to Stephen as he was being killed in the book of Acts. The men were stoning him to death. And his face just shone like an angel. And he said, I can see Jesus standing at the right hand of God. He's able to face death like that, right? Christians, you can face death like that, knowing that it cannot outlast you. We will outlast it and be blessed forever. Now, what about right now, right? Eventually, we've got the victory, right? Right now, while we suffer. Well, there's an encouragement for now as well. Uh, In 125 verse 2, we read, As the mountains surround Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds his people from this time forth and forevermore. So both now and then. This one's true already. Now, we often think of Jerusalem as like the highest peak in all of Israel, and it's promised that one day it will be, uh, but it's actually not even higher than the mountains around it. The mountains around it are, are higher than it is. And so when these travelers who have been there before remember Israel, the sight in their minds is being surrounded by mountains and hills. Have you ever been anywhere that was fully surrounded by mountains? Maybe a valley in the Smokies or over in the Rockies somewhere, and you know that sight. Or maybe you were in a, in a canyon and you could just see land up all around you and you're surrounded and hemmed in. They've got that memory, and they say in the same way that those mountains surround Jerusalem, the Lord surrounds His people. He's, he's all around us, protecting us and keeping us through this hardship. And so that means that those pastors in prison in China, they don't just have God to look forward to when they are home. The Lord is with them and surrounding them. They're suffering today. That means in your fight against sin today... You don't just have a hope that the battle will end one day with you victorious, but you've got the Lord surrounding you and with you today, all the more reason to stand up and fight against it. Uh, that means to the one who knows that death is coming soon, you don't just have hope on the other side. You have the Lord with you, holding you all the way to the end, the same way he held Stephen as he perished, and Stephen was able to say, I can see where I am going Right now. So that's the good news that we have in these Psalms. As we see Israel interacting with her enemies, hurt by her enemies, but knowing that she will be victorious. The New Testament teaches the same thing is true for us and our cosmic enemies. And so I want to finish this morning by inviting you to take part in these blessings. All the stuff we've talked about today is openly offered to everyone. But only some receive it. Who receives it? Well, that's in 125 verse 1. Those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion. Not everybody is like Mount Zion. Not everyone is immovable. Not everyone will outlast the suffering of this life and the judgment to come. Only those who trust in the Lord. What does it mean to trust in the Lord? Well, we know from our New Testaments that this Lord came to earth And his name is Jesus. He has a human name of Jesus now. And we worship him as God because he is very God. And we love him as our brother because he came to walk with us. And what our God did on earth as a man was live without sin. We have all sinned against God. He did not. And we all deserve death and judgment because of our sin. But he, sinless, chose to be judged die and to experience the wrath of God in our place, God's anger against sin. And then, because he was a worthy sacrifice, he he rose from the dead. And then he ascended up into heaven where he sits at the right hand of God right now, and he will come back and build this perfect world that we are getting glimmers of in these Psalms. Heaven and earth will pass away, and He will build a new heavens and new earth that are perfect and joined together. Our bodies will all have passed away, and He will give us perfect bodies that do not fade. And His offer is, I give all of this as, as one fell swoop. Anyone who wants it can have me as Lord, resurrection from the dead, forgiveness of sins, good guidance for their life under the Lordship of Jesus, Anyone who wants to trust in the Lord as he is receives him and gets him. So the simple news here is if you want this Lord, if you want Jesus, and you believe he is who he says he is, you can have him freely. All you need to do is trust that he is who he says he is and lean upon him for that salvation. And then it can be said of you those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion, which cannot be moved. It's my call to you put your faith in Jesus Christ. Trust in Jesus Christ. Let's pray.